You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air and I appear with always typical Lydia today's show we're going to be doing the 1995 anthology horror tales from the hood it's a fan request thanks to uh Orville Ketchum on Twitter thank you Orville whose name we're remembering between my Jack Ketchum the horror author and Wes going straight to Pokemon with Ash Ketchum yeah, well, I mean, listen, I go to what I know best, and a horror author would imply that I read books, and we know that doesn't happen. As do I, as do I go to what I know best, and so does Orville. With the, He had the VHS copy of this, and that was the conversation when this movie came out, began a conversation with you on Twitter, and mm-hmm. this is one of his favorites in his collection. Yeah, 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 which is really, really cool. I included this film in my top five films that I, I can't remember exactly. You could probably, I think the article is uh, still on horrormovies.ca or on splatter pictures, unless I have the foresight to delete it. But it, it was my top five horror films that kind of feel like, make it feel like Halloween. It's not. And I put all kinds of weird stuff on there because I was told back in the day to do these these top five lists and there was one for Halloween and I didn't feel like doing ten because I'm a fucking rebel and I put films in it that would just be on all the time during Halloween and so Tales from the Hood made the cut People Under the Stairs made the cut the Sleepy Hollow Disney cartoon made the cut uh, this is stuff that I liked to watch when I was young and Night of the Demons might have made the the Night of the Demons were definitely on the list so that's Pretty much all of them right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So no need to read it because it lacks spelling and punctuation and any coherent thought. And it's also a trash post, essentially. And man, people fucking nailed me to the wall. Which is ridiculous to me because there's a new top five list every five minutes. Yeah. You know, I'm surprised there aren't top five lists of top five lists. Top ten <clears throat> lists. Top 100 top ten lists. Mm-hmm. Or something like It is a shit post. They're all shit posts. Yours is probably the least shitty out of a lot of them coming around that season. When somebody tells me films to watch at Halloween, would anyone be surprised if I said you should probably watch 1978's Halloween? That's a good one. Everyone agrees that that's a good film. But I thought that it would be better to include films that maybe people haven't watched in a while or haven't seen and it was, to me, more about a feeling. Now, Tales from the Hood came out in 1995, as we mentioned previously. And for me, that meant that I was probably not going to ever watch it until it would either have been rented or it was on the movie network. And the movie network was where I saw this for the first time. And it was, back in those days, new enough that subsequent years would pass and they would just it'd be play, it would play it around that time. season, right? And so that was definitely a film that I would look for. People Under the Stairs came in out around the same time. And so it was the same sort of thing. And so this was before a lot of 
a lot of stations, but before basically AMC was just playing endlessly the Friday the 13th movies for the Halloween season with their Fear Fest. And, and so, yeah, it, it really it really speaks to when I was in my formative horror-watching years on television, which is where I saw most of the films that we always talk about, because I wasn't old enough to go see a lot of films in the theater. And moreover, there wasn't really a theater that was very close. It wasn't until... I grew up in the south end of Ottawa, and I was well into high school before the South Key Cinemaplex opened, and that was some a cinema that I could walk to. So that changed everything. But previously, I wouldn't really have access to places like this. I would have to get on a, a long bus to go to Saint Laurent, basically, mm-hmm. or get downtown, and that wasn't going to happen. So yeah, that's where I saw this for the first time, and I really liked it the first time I saw it. But I only saw it around the Halloween season. And then after a while, they stopped playing it and I stopped watching it. So even though I've seen Tales from the Hood, I'm going to conservatively say four to five times. It's been many years since I've seen it. And I had forgotten a lot of stuff about it. I remembered two stories quite well. And then I didn't really remember the uh, other stories all that well, to be 100% honest. Yeah, I was sort of in the same boat with not remembering a lot of it, because I watched it when it first came out as a hot rental, because it was a hot rental when it hit the shelves. And it was a hot rental more among adults than it was young horror fans, because I don't recall talking to any of my little horror buddies, little high school friends about it at all. Um... I would have been going into college at this time, and I don't remember it being a, a topic of conversation. Uh, my parents were more interested in this film, and they were they watched it a couple times, I believe. They probably watched it on TV since, too. Um, but my parents were also extremely, not shattered, but they were very touched by the Rodney King news a few years before this. So yeah. racism was a, was a huge cultural thorn in their side as it mm-hmm. were even though we're really insulated from a lot of really harsh racism here in canada as opposed to our friends in the united states mm-hmm. who have a lot more of this on the forefront and have for years uh we do in different ways mm-hmm. but not exactly the spike lee version mm-hmm. of racism that we deal with every mm-hmm. single day but my parents were a lot more uh, they weren't political activists by any means, but they paid very close attention to the news and had mm-hmm. conversations in the home about mm-hmm. what they were reading on the news and what was really striking them. And the Rodney King beating was something that, that struck them very, very harsh. And it was an ongoing conversation for years. The sort of thing that would silence the room and have them pay very close attention to the news and what was going on. So they seemed far more interested in Tales from the Hood, where a lot of it went over my head. Mm-hmm. And we were having this conversation while we're watching this that a mm-hmm. lot of this went over our heads, especially the end segment. The end segment was something that I was I didn't understand really at all. Mm-hmm. So it was a shame that a lot of that was lost as as we were kids. I'm really glad that you could appreciate it for a horror film at the time, mm-hmm. where I sort of did. I, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't like having so much controversy and real world mm-hmm. issues side by side with my horror movie horror much like science fiction and this is i mean you know this and 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 most people listening to this will know this but it is a very easy way to insert commentary Mm -hmm. 
um, in, in a way that's palatable because for a lot of people because they say, I want to watch a horror movie. I don't want to watch a fucking documentary about this or I don't want to watch a drama. I don't want to watch a two-hour drama about racism. It's too heavy. I just want to, I just want to watch something fun. Can I just watch something fun? I, I just want to forget that I'm going to die for 90 minutes. Cool. We're going to watch Tales from the Hood. How We're, do you feel about that? Yeah, great. And we'll watch that. And then a lot of people, I feel, were probably surprised by the content that is within all of these short stories, not just stories about uh, white cops beating innocent black men to death, but also stories about abuse, uh, child abuse. There's stories about racism. What does black-on-black crime accomplish? What does old racism in the modern day mean? Can we really forget what the past of the United States was like with slavery and all that kind of thing. All of these heavy topics are inserted in every single, there is no fluff story where it is not motivated by a, a, a real deep meaning. It's still done in an entertaining way, in my opinion. Oh, completely. And so, and, and I think that I feel that this film on my young mind was good at the time because Oh, it's got cool puppets. I like those guys. And the monster story was really interesting. I like the special effects at I the end. I love the special effects of the monster and, story. And it is very Twilight Zone. Oh, and oh, hell yeah. Holy hell yeah. And and I really liked uh, it, it. Was it seemed sufficient to me? It wasn't. It, it had it had good violence. It had good acting in it. It had. It was interesting to watch, and it, it really felt like. A, a, a horror movie proper and 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 I got confused by some things and now as I've gotten older now watching it again since Scream Factory released this which is the version that we watched it's endlessly rewarding as far as I'm concerned because as you were saying and the unfortunate reality is this is not something that's locked in the past that has no relevance today this is not something that has fucking changed all that much. We're still seeing all of these same things happening. So if anything, it is a fantastic reminder that life doesn't progress the way that we want at the rate that we want. And I think that it just becomes that much more poignant that films like this exist. And we're so very slow, slow, slow to learn lessons from our past. So very slow. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you'd like to think that something like after the Rodney King trial and... Oh, it's all going to change. So yeah, look, after look. something like this. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's all going to change because, no, and quite obviously it doesn't because we've been watching the Fergus news all last year. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these things don't change. It's not to say that, like, well, what good is a movie like this that injects so much social commentary and so many really heavy issues into your entertainment? What mm -hmm. good does it do? Well, a lot of good because... It did good for a lot of people. It opened mm -hmm. the eyes of people like in little small town Canada that isn't normally touched by this sort of racism outside of uh, action news from L.A. <laughs> you know, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the world has become a lot smaller since yeah. then, not only with our aging and being able to understand these issues and learning a lot about different facets of all of these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, the world has become a lot smaller and in some eyes a lot more brutal, even though crime rates are dropping mm -hmm. in, the, in the Western world. Uh, they seem to be a little more visceral mm -hmm, these mm -hmm, days. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, I'm really glad that I got to rewatch this. So I'm really glad Orville um, 
that you recommended this. And I'm glad that you've picked it up, Wes, because I probably wouldn't have caught it. I don't have TV. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not uh, big on going out and renting old things that I didn't understand, except mm -hmm. for Summer of Sam. Speaking of Mr. Spike Lee, I didn't. That was the mm -hmm. last Spike Lee film I watched. I think it's mm -hmm. Old Boy, maybe, if you mm -hmm. want to count that. But like, mm -hmm. I was looking at his filmography, his extensive filmography, yeah. and I think I paid more attention to what Spike Lee has to say in the news about current events yeah. than what he's done as a filmmaker mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. a producer. Yeah, he's, he's got the production credit on this. The director is uh, Rusty Kundif. Kundif, I think that's how we pronounce it. So sorry, Mr. Rusty. <laughs> Rusty. saying it wrong. And uh, produced by Darren Scott. So these two guys got together and, and they wanted to tell these stories Th uh, from their perspective and the nice thing about getting films like Tales from the Hood and even now the big the film this year that everyone was talking about is getting is get out I was going to say getting out like getting out no get out the film is it allows us to witness stories told by other people that we don't always get to hear stories from and it's great and and I think that it, it strikes people in such a way because it is different perspectives on things. And it also is coming from personal places. So many things that we're afraid of, but makes horror effective comes out into our work and people who are the most affected by racism, the people who are most affected by these types of conversations are telling their stories because it's fucking terrifying. It really is. And that comes through into the film. And that's why that's so important for everyone to witness. And it's, it's, it's great that, you know, Screen Factory made me revisit this film. Because this was one of those films that's like, oh yeah, I love Tales from the Hood. But I hadn't watched it since I was I'm not even... Fuck, uh... I must have been 13, 14 since the last time I saw this. My fucking brain wasn't there yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because because everything's all fine in my world, right? My fucking middle class world. I'm just like, yeah, everything's fine, right? Oh, yeah. And reading the synopsis of this and the stories contained therein, I was like, you know, this sounds like something I need to watch and want to watch and something that I'd like. I just like these stories and mm -hmm. it's important stories to tell. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, what do I remember of this? Uh, puppets, the twisted up guy. I remembered gangbangers and and a lot of thug violence and mm. rap music. And I was like, that's that's what I don't like, you know. I love mm -hmm. puppets and the twisted up guy, yeah. But mm. I'm like, all oh, this rap music and and thugs, thugs, thugs. That's all I remembered. And I'm like, I can see why this wasn't as palatable or something that I would want to revisit. Mm. But then reading the synopsis, I'm like, this is something that I need to watch again. Mm -hmm. These mm -hmm. are stories that are compelling and important and mm -hmm. interesting and horrific. Mm -hmm. really horrific so it's a it's a really wonderfully uh tailored movie it's really wonderfully written it's wonderfully acted for most of it there's a mm -hmm. few like really there's a few actors. I, I feel that there's some lackluster performances but it's typically the bit parts the small roles i think everyone that is an actual character is doing a pretty good job but they have a listen the anthology format usually will suffer from the fact that you don't have a lot of time to pull the taffy on these scenes. And so you need a bunch of Basil expositions to basically jump into the frame with a whole bunch of information and then jump out of the frame yeah. and then they're gone, right? I feel in this case, you know, they probably could have 
I mean, either a couple more takes or maybe different actors, but I, I think that for the most part, it's acted very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyways, what is this movie even about, Lydia? It is about how fun it can be to visit your local funeral home. <laughs> People should do that more often. Not only think outside the box and outside their little tiny worlds and read the news once in a while, they mm-hmm. should also not be afraid to go and hang out in the local funeral home. And also, Satan likes to fuck with you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> of course he does. We knew that already. Yeah, he really, really does. Well, the Sims funeral home is... The kind of funeral home I wish funeral homes were. Unfortunately, oh they're very clinical and clean and, and boring. And they don't yeah. have, like, dolls and coffins and almost like the fucking barker at a carnival as your funeral home. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Yeah, funeral homes nowadays, I always describe funeral homes as a bunch of, you go into a house that was nothing but living rooms. <laughs> That's what a funeral home really looks like to me. It's just a series of frankenstein living rooms all attached together there's a living room here's a living room there's a living room i love funeral homes for that reason just endless living rooms yeah and and clean and anywhere you want to look tissues or flowers flowers i love it yeah Mm -hmm. this is not like that though no this is like a real funeral home this is like funeral home funeral home i love that this thing is set directed within an inch of its life there is so much going on in this funeral home. It's like waxworks. Oh, oh my yeah. God, right? And all of this, so much velvet and drapery everywhere. And it just seems so fucking cool. And that was one of the first comments I had. I had an internal. It was one of those internal comments where I, I was like, I'm going to say this thing when we see it. But it is the fact that. It doesn't look like a funeral home ever. Even in 1995, this didn't look like any funeral home ever. No. No. Maybe from the 50s. Maybe there's a Deep South 50s funeral home. Well, maybe. Like if, if you have funeral home slash fortune teller. It's more like business. a funeral parlor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Once so. you put parlor on the end of it, I guess. Totally. Yeah. Now it fits. Because funeral homes, uh, crematoriums are all so much more clinical and no fun at all like this at all. Our funeral, the last funeral director that I had to deal with looked like a used car salesman for crying out loud. He was no fun. He didn't take me on a tour. He didn't explain the dead bodies. There were no dead bodies. So we have three gangbangers showing up to get the shit. What? The fine gangbang. I am like deliciously confused and very obviously confused about the word gangbanger. Well, I don't know. We can talk about the word thug from the... The Indian uh, term thuggy or tuggies that were bandits that worshipped the uh, god Kali. And when the British were taking over uh, India, these were the people trying to drive the English out. And uh, they were tuggies that got shortened to thug and that carried over. So there's that. I have that much information. Learned that from an episode of Highlander the series when I was a kid. Oh, really? Okay. So we can learn something from TV. But I think that um, gang bangers, because they're banging around. I don't know, man. I mean, I understand what the sexy version of gang banger is. Me completely. So every time I hear it, I'm just like, why are you using that word? I don't know. But why not violent criminals? 
Well, because there's there's no there's no mystery around that. Gangranger can mean at least two things. So you got okay. you got some mystery. Okay. Okay. But anyway, so we've got these guys showing up at this funeral party. Now, the genesis of this is that this guy, this Sims, he's got the shit. The shit. He is knee deep in, in shit. shit, which is. Oh, you want the shit. <laughs> Clarence Williams, the third. Yes. Wonderful performance. And I just like, you know, he does some kick ass eyeball acting. It's fucking insane. This guy chews the scenery in the best way possible. He is full on crypt keeper. He is full on doing a horror host. Yeah, completely. It's completely. so fucking good. He is a cartoon and a wonderful cartoon. The only thing missing is smoke rising from his hair. That's the only thing fucking missing. And his hair almost looks like horns or something just fantastical. And he looks like a carnival barker. He looks like somebody that would be in, in trying to lure you to the fortune teller. He he looks like that mystical, crazy person that has this really coiled spring. Where he's not reacting to any of their what I'll call shenanigans because it's like they're they're violent. They're after the shit. That's mm. all they care about. They're telling him off time and time again. And his biggest comeback, the only time he really has to shut them down, he says, why, are you scared? Mm-hmm. Other than that, he just does not react to a word they fucking yeah. say. Like an old man that's maybe can't hear them, you know, or something. But Or yeah. he's just really dead set on his routine, his, yeah. his thing that he's doing. He's like, guys, don't interrupt me. I'm going to forget my place and I have to start over. <laughs> we don't want that now, do we? Look at me. I'm about to topple over. I'm so old. <laughs> yeah. He does play this role extremely well and it's compelling and if anything like i i'm interested you know there's there's skeletons there's fucking funeral home i'm there Mm -hmm. but this guy takes you along for the ride as he does in his role and this is the beginning of the wraparound sequence this is what's going to be tying all of our stories together with one big story we saw it in the previous film that we had done and with, with the socialite witch trying to cook the little boy my favorite darling deborah harry yeah 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 this time we got clarence williams the third here just taking these guys on an oral journey because they've come because he's got the shit Mm -hmm. apparently he found drugs a substantial amount of drugs he couldn't even carry them no he can't even lift it but he found it all in the alleyway but he wants to tell them some stories because He's got some bodies to show them, essentially. In a way. I guess the way I figure it is that it's living room after living room after living room, dressed up like carnivals, dead bodies in each of them, and he's just shuffling super slow. So it's going to take him this amount of time to get down to the shit anyway. It's true. So he might as well tell them some stories on the way. I'm going to tell them about a young man named Clarence. Poor Clarence. Mm-hmm. Why is he dead? He heard voices, apparently. Yeah. That's not the whole story, though. No. The, so, Rogue Cop Revelation is a story that I forgot about. I, I when we when it wasn't until I re-got this and I was seeing the images of the zombie holding a man's head, I would think, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. But in casual conversations about the film, I would always point to the two middle stories, which we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. But... Basically, what you have here is a story about a bunch of cops, a bunch of white cops 
tracking down a guy who is a I don't know civil rights is is inaccurate, but he's a basically try he's a public speaker, political agitator, as his file says. And he believes, rightly so, that there is a drug ring perp, uh, orchestrated by the police going on in this inner city neighborhood, and he wants to make that come to the light, but he gets pulled over. Yeah, he gets pulled over for no goddamn reason. And of course, no. they pull the very um, theatrical device of smashing out a tail light, which isn't totally made up. That definitely happens. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been getting cops fired. And that's why he's under the gun by these almost stereotypically Irish New York type cops. That's the sort of cops. This isn't happening in New York, but this is what they look like. And I remember this segment, not the most, but I do remember having just uh, a very, almost in disbelief. This was one of the first horror movies that really tackled a, a really topical, really touchy social issue that I recall watching anyway. That I had that feeling of like, oh my god, I can't believe they're actually ripped doing from the this. headlines. Yeah, really ripped from the headlines, and really visceral too. And it takes quite a bit of time for someone to get their comeuppance because mm-hmm. you almost expect them to turn around, like you expect the rookie cop to turn around and be like, "What the fuck are you guys doing, beating mm-hmm. this innocent man? What, what the fuck is your problem?" And stopping it right there. That's what you expect. That's what you want. And that's the way mm-hmm. you wish the world actually worked. No, but it doesn't. And Clarence steps in after these police officers beat this fucking man to death almost and they assure him we're gonna gonna get him to the hospital yeah don't worry about it we're gonna get him to a hospital they're trying to get him out of there to well they're getting clarence out of there to try to run the plate see if the car's stolen or anything like that that's where clarence recognizes who this man is these police officers don't take him to a hospital. In fact, they fucking drive him off a pier. And it's, again, the documentary that comes with the DVD talked about this, the Blu-ray, but it wasn't enough that they destroy his life. It's not enough that they kill him. They have to destroy his reputation. So they, what do they do? They shoot him up with heroin. They pop a bunch of cocaine in his back uh, trunk and they drive him off the cliff. So not only is he dead, but he was full of heroin and he had a bunch of drugs in his backseat. And he's trying to nail police officers for selling drugs when he himself was a user of drugs and was probably selling the drugs that he had in the trunk as well. So he's a big hypocrite. So it's over with. And maybe not so much ripped from headlines, but that could be based on too many true stories, unfortunately. If you listen to the Generation Y podcast, like I do way too often, (laughs) uh, they tend to cover quite a few, like a good handful of crimes that are really similar to this, racially motivated, and work on the slander angle after the person is deceased or found deceased, or just never found. Mm -hmm. Very, very terrible tactic used by law enforcement to get away with really heinous shit. And this is super fucking heinous shit. And of course, Clarence has the weight of all of this guilt. Not that there was really anything he could have done short of shooting his fellow officers of the shit that they pulled. His partner, Newton, basically tries to pull the old, these people, and we, the fucked up thing is when we hear about police brutality nowadays, it's the same fucking arguments. 
it's these people risk their lives every day. They're busting their asses every day. And so one of these days it could be you out there and maybe they went a little too far, but next time, you know, it's justified because you never know. Maybe we weren't taking it too far. And also you don't say anything because these are police officers and you're a police officer. And so keep your mouth shut and, you know, don't break the code. And he's, very well, not so tacitly he's threatening him yeah it's a very boys in blue via v um a racially motivated hate crime that they pulled off right in front of somebody who could really bring them down and the whole point of that was because they were being brought down their integrity as racist cunts was already being threatened by morehouse so now they don't want it just you know that threat is just going to roll on because they keep pulling this fucking shit and the wrong people, the wrong people, the right people in the mind of someone who isn't a, a racist kind of, are keeping tabs on their fucking shenanigans. So, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chris are going to shut him down as soon as possible. But he's too guilt-written, too angry to just zip it. He's not going to just zip it. Who would? Especially more so in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Now he's in a position where he's left the force. He's degenerated into an alcoholic. Because he is so, Clarence is so guilt-ridden. It's been a year now. This man is dead, buried, and he starts hearing voices and having visions. Now, in horror, especially back in the old EC Comics days, and uh, these types of stories are quite common. The idea of you've killed someone. You've killed someone because of a jealous lover, or you've killed someone for money. You've killed someone for something, for some kind of gain, physical or however have you. That person comes back. Mm-hmm. Very similar to like Asian revenge spirits. Even something like Creepshow. Yeah. Creepshow has a story almost just like it. Or without the death, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. So this very much is a story about that. Clarence sees the visions of the men they killed. This activist, Martin Morehouse, he's seeing images of him on a uh, a crucifix and trying to get these police officers back. So he, at least bring them to me, is the order that he's getting from this supernatural force. And he does just that by... Asking these police officers to meet him at this graveyard. Real graveyards, not a set. And even when they were blowing up the the one grave, that's all real graves around it. It's very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. But why wouldn't these police officers come? They know that this guy's off the force. They probably keep some tabs on him. The fact that he's probably wandering around the streets drunk all the time. He's become a liability. And almost a year to the day that this death occurred, he's calling them out to the graveyard. To pay respects, a- yeah, because they probably never attended the funeral, so it's it's nice. A year on, for them mm-hmm. to pay their respect. So the police officer ringleader, Strom, and his flunkies, including Clarence's old partner, Newton, they're going to go pay respects, but also they're going to kill Clarence. But not before Strom pisses on the guy's grave. Which is so, so very insulting. And of course I had to Google urinating on graves. And it's amazing to me how many people get 
arrested for that. I don't know who it is that's uh, keeping an eye out uh, at the graveyard to turn these people in or what sort of really amazing camera system they have in most graveyards to catch the people that are urinating on graves Mm -hmm. and that they're getting caught and arrested for it. I think it's kind of hilarious. I've never been motivated to urinate on a grave ever even once in my life. So Mm -hmm. it's just weird to me that that that's the inclination of some people that I don't like this. So I'm going to whip my dick out and pee on it. (laughs) It's just very strange to me. Uh, But I guess they didn't count on their life force um feeding the voodoo spirits and allowing the spirit to rise from the grave you think that the pee was brought martin morehouse to life i really do i think they fucked up i don't think clarence clarence was having visions yeah clarence was being spoken to by the spirit of this man but i think that maybe the spirit counted on them fucking fat ass irish cops to come and pee on him and free me pee on me and free me i think that's what was going on (laughs) pee on me and free me you guys miss the hand gestures she made with that pretty fucking choice yeah it was i guess it does work i mean martin comes back to life yeah with a vengeance i do like horror movies where people get their dicks grabbed by the undead it's pretty good. And then, just like fucking little lever, he's like bashing his head up against the gravestone and then gets pulled into the earth. It's like a trick grave. I like that. And it just sucks him in, too. Yeah, I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. A lot of supernatural activity here. What, what would you say? Martin is not a zombie. Once he rises from the grave, we have one cop, his beating heart ripped from his chest. And we have Martin standing there. He looks like a zombie, kind of. It's like he's hovering over his own grave. And I guess he's standing on the gravestone, but he has such majesty, uh, such supernatural force with his beating heart in his chest. And his uh, coffin has popped up out of this trick grave with the dead cop in it and everything. It's really theatrical, really wonderful. There's a few scenes in this particular segment that I just love. And this is one of them. This is one of them. I don't know. I wouldn't say he's a zombie, but he looks like a zombie. He, he really just looks like a zombie. But he's got all the power of a very powerful ghost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He can teleport. He can levitate things. He has vastly unnatural strength. Immunity to bullets. Immunity to fire. Immunity to being thrown off a car a la T2, where he's grabbing onto the back of the, the cop car and trying to claw his way up, and he gets thrown from it and rolls. It's almost scene for scene of what happens to it's true. Terminator. Yeah. He's got a glowing crack pipe heart. Yeah, which is <laughs> a really cool touch. Very yeah. theatrical. Yeah. The, the, the weird part is that we know this guy never did drugs, but okay, why would he be powered by a crack pipe heart? Whatever. Okay. It's it's visually interesting, mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. visually interesting. Um, and of course, he does have the power. He seems like no one else can see him but who he's targeting. That or it begs the question of, are the people in the alleyway seeing him chase this police officer and they're just looking the other way? It's possible. Which is uh, would be such a statement, but it seems that no one else can see him. True. It's kind of... It is as if they can't see him, but it also could be old-fashioned inner-city vigilante justice. We didn't see anything. Yeah. It's a cop basically haunted by this image of Martin 
who's been immortalized as a hero of this neighborhood uh, through graffiti, not unlike the Candyman himself. Yeah, very, very similar to Candyman uh, graffiti or a mural. Like it is a wonderful artwork, actually, mm-hmm. uh, and huge. So, and it isn't out of place at all. It no, looks, it looks very fitting for the scene that they set up here: the crack pipe and syringe-strewn alley. And this homage to the man that was trying so hard to clean up the streets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Strong gets his head pulled right the fuck up, and it's weird because I didn't, I didn't really understand watching this. Well, I know now, thanks to the special features. Why would the ringleader not be the last to die and get the grisliest death? Scheduling issues. Oh, really? Okay. That's how come it's Newton and not Strom who's the final... It didn't even dawn on me because I don't usually think in terms of, okay, now this is supposed to happen. Okay, this now this is supposed to happen mm-hmm. because I don't uh, rely on archetypes and paradigms and the hero's journey stories and things like that um, to explain to me where the beats are supposed to hit. But I suppose, yeah, you would want, if that's what people are holding out for, is um, you know things to hit the particular beats the way that they're supposed to, quote-unquote. Yeah. But I really enjoy being right in the middle because it makes it for a great climax, a wonderful climax, to have this dead black businessman with a cracked pipe heart standing up on top of a police cruiser with the cherries whirling, holding the fucking head of this giant fat ass. <laughs> brute, brute, like, police brutality, antagonistic, fucking person-killing cop Mm -hmm. just dangling there full of blood. Yeah, Yeah. that was a wonderful scene. A very wonderful scene to have. Oh, it's good, yeah. So I'm glad that those scheduling issues happened because it made for this really wonderful climax to this short story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You had Newton basically impaled with these syringes, Mm -hmm. pumped full of the drugs, and saying that he had basically admitting to the streets to the street people that he had killed this person and then he is crucified crucified by uh used syringes which is a fascinating visual as well a third in this segment alone that i just think is wonderful Mm -hmm. yeah and he melts and becomes part of the mural himself that's what you get through the supernatural means and it's very interesting. The director talked a little bit about this idea that this would be, it would be everlasting. It would, it would somehow always be the brightest bit of art on the wall. And even if someone were to tag over it, that would somehow miraculously vanish. And this thing would always just be its permanent structure. Yeah, you go to wheat paste and the stuff won't stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. I like that idea. And then Martin pulls Clarence there. I did your bidding. Are you not proud? And Martin, this is the 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 most poignant message of this. Obviously, is that evil wins when good men do nothing. He stood by and allowed this to happen, regardless of his position. What could he have really done? The fact of the matter was, he did nothing. And when he wanted to do the right thing. As did Miss Sims say, too little, too late. So he was reduced to insanity. And then the deaths of these three police officers were pinned on him. And I guess what would have killed him? Suicide or... 
Because he's dead in the... He's in Sim's funeral home, so he died at some point after that. Yeah, yeah. Just died eventually in the insane asylum. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? He doesn't really say that. He initially said that he died because he was hearing voices, which mm-hmm. isn't exactly true when you have the whole story told to you, which Are is you a story that he, Sims... Sims couldn't have known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way he could have known any of that, especially <laughs> if it came out in the news that he had killed three cops in one night, which is a lie. But, yeah. So there's something about Sims that he seems to be able to know these things. Either that or he's a very just flamboyant storyteller. Or he's Satan. Or he's Satan. Yeah. <laughs> that probably wouldn't be my initial thought. Oh, no. Not that would be That would be at least thought number three. My first thought was that he must have known the guy's mom. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, you'd like to think that this isn't something that would have driven somebody nuts because what they were up against, having their entire career destroyed, having no one believe them anyway, you know, all he could have been doing really is fighting the good fight from the inside and try and get these cops taken down, you know, by the books. Which would have been a long haul and he may have never been successful, but, you know, you'd like to hold out hope that he didn't have to go through those means, but oh well. They decide to piss on the grave. It's all out of his hands at that point, I think. Yeah, really. Yeah. This kind of antagonizes our three friends who are there for the shit. They're at this funeral home for the shit. They're not there at this funeral home for these horrible stories. Yeah. Yeah. But he's got more. Because he's going to tell you all about a little boy. What is and is not real in the mind of a child. You've almost got the gravity that Sims has. Almost. I feel like if you gave me a couple more passes at it, I could get closer. But the point is, the story boys do get bruised was definitely the story that I remembered. Well, I remember the puppet one as well, but I remembered this story a lot. And I thought the concept was so interesting, even as a young boy. Myself, it's so interesting. And I don't know where they would have gotten this because have you ever heard about the idea of destroying drawings? I've know the I know the psychological write a letter to someone and then throw it away and don't actually send it. But have you ever heard of anyone saying something about Yeah, yeah. Um definitely because it is a very um popular in a lot of ritual magics and very popular in Santeria. So again, it seems to be um slightly based in voodoo ideas. Again, here I am with the voodoo. I don't know if I'm the only person that notices this, but or if I'm just, you know, really grasping at straws, which is probably another voodoo reference. But, yeah, uh, definitely in ritual. Not only does it take on almost a voodoo doll kind of feeling, this uh, paper that the kid is, is, he's creating a voodoo doll quite obviously by the end, the way it reacts. And I didn't really get, I didn't really put two and two together with the kid that broke all his limbs falling down the stairs. I forgot about that aspect of the story until it happened again. I was like, oh yeah, right. I remember that. That's how that happened. Yeah. I had totally forgotten about it too. And even watching it, I was like, wait a second. Oh, that was that. Okay. I get it. Uh, But yeah. Yeah. You can do some really horrible things to people by having some of their, you know, bodily affluva or their name written on paper and having it charmed and burnt. 
Absolutely. Do you think that Walter, Walter's a little boy in this, by the way, who this story starts out in a way that we would think that it could be something supernatural coming down to this boy's door because it's growling like a monster. We see sinister shadows. We see clawed, gnarled fingers. This certainly seems like some kind of a weird monster. Walter shows up at school with bruises. Now, he does get into a fight with one of the bullies, the ne'er-do-wells that he goes to school with. He is, after all, the new kid. But he has bruises on his eye, a, a bruise around his eye that is far older than the fight that he just got into. The nurse will indicate that. And that's where his super cool 90s tea, uh, teacher is going to step in. He's got a vest. He's got light trousers. He's got circular sunglasses. He is a perfect uh, teacher in inner city youth. He probably teaches them all like symphony orchestra. I'm surprised. I'm surprised plans. he doesn't have his own fucking sitcom on WB. Like that's yeah. how perfect of a '90s cool teacher he is. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. So, of course, he takes an interest in this kid and what's going on in the home, which is good because that isn't something that was really being done very often. And there's a really fascinating uh, cycle of podcasts by Malcolm Gladwell. And I forget the title of this specific one. Um, it's in his podcast, Revisionist History, and it's probably about four episodes ago, four or five by now, um, about how black students fall through the cracks. And it's a lot to do with them not having black teachers. And there was a like a large time in, in history where black teachers were let go systematically because of the uh, blending of black and white in schools and not having sequestered school systems anymore. Mm -hmm. And then like, it was great to have all the children in one school, but when they had to fire teachers, cause they had half the amount of schools to pop populate with teachers, they fired all the fucking black teachers. So a lot of black children began falling through the cracks. So this is a really nice, instance of and you started seeing this from the mid 80s onward when that was slowly being rectified and the black teachers themselves were seeing this this problem and knowing what the solution was to get themselves back in front of the classroom again so having the teacher that will take the time to pay attention to things like domestic abuse mm -hmm. was something not really happening so much in the 80s and early 90s let alone within any sort of segmented group so it was really, really refreshing to see. Yet another thing that would have been in the news, that would have been on the minds of people who were thinking really forwardly in 1995, to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they're actually doing this story. That's mm -hmm. amazing that they're doing this story at the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now we're sitting down and we're watching a horror movie. When a kid says monster, we're inclined to think monster. This is how the story goes. In a way, when the door was first rattling, I was like, and the dad walks in. Mm -hmm. Because that's what this monster, quote unquote, is all about, isn't it? But then you start to, you see the hand. You see the fact that it is a monster. It has a monstrous voice. has a monstrous body, what we can see of it. What he's drawing is a monster. Mm -hmm. It looks kind of like a merman. Got some sweet abs, though. Sweet abs. Well, they of course. And a beefy arm. Uh, <laughs> Consummate V's. <laughs> I said consummate V's. He's a little wingling dragon. <laughs> He's sort of like a dragon. He's sort of like a merman. He probably has the ability to burn an eight. And <laughs> across the countryside. <laughs> burninating the peasants. 
little grass cottages. <laughs> they, um... Okay, so it's Trogdor. It's Trogdor. It's Trogdor is <laughs> attacking this kid. No, they... One of the, the interesting aspect about this monster that Walter keeps drawing is I find it the circular mouth with the almost worm-like grinding opening. It's very interesting. And it makes me think that Oh, does he actually have that type of thing? Because we, uh, what we would assume is a few days go by. Walter shows up with more bruises. So the teacher's got to do what he's got to do. He he. This is a delicate balance. You can't go around, especially in the 90s. This was such a fucking new thing about teachers really becoming proactive, going beyond the classroom to try to do something. And this is only a few years after they themselves weren't allowed to fucking beat kids. Yeah. Yeah. And they were supposed to still, like, stay out of the home life. Oh, absolutely. So he's trying to basically coax Walter out of his shell. And enough of this monster. You're talking about this monster. Monsters don't exist, man. So if you're ready to tell me what's actually going on, we can handle it together. He's trying to invite... His, he's trying to invite this kid into a safe space so he can talk about it openly. And all these things that the kid is saying, though, about the monster are just leading what he believes, and us as the viewer, with things like, my mom says it's not really happening, my mom says I'm not supposed to talk about it, my mom won't listen to me. Mm-hmm. Like, no one else sees it happening. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, when you're convinced, as we are, that this is just some sort of male in the home that you're talking about that you're calling this monster. Those are the things that the adults around there protecting that person would be saying to. Mm-hmm. Or if it really is an imaginary monster. And again, when we're watching horror, it fucking could be. Yeah. That's the thing. It could actually be a monster. And this one above the others are, is filmed in a very Twilight Zone method. Very yes. Twilight Zone angles. Very mm-hmm. Twilight Zone lines. Very Twilight Zone characters. It dissolves too with the yeah. weird the art going over the images and stuff like that. It has a real vintage look to it. Panning out from the... They're focusing on a printed lined piece of school paper with a picture of a monster and then the camera pulls back to reveal the classroom scene and the teacher talking to him just the way that the camera is moving all you'd have to do is recolor this desaturate it and poof it's vintage twilight zone yeah absolutely even in the effects which at the time this uh san francisco chronicle had covered this and they had great things a lot of the um you know mainstream criticism of this film was very good very positive Far more positive than the goddamn Internet Movie Database and Rotten Tomatoes would have you believe. Uh, But they all said the budget shows in its effects, Mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of darling for the time. Because at the time, it was right on par for what its budget was. Yeah. And this is things that were written in 1995 saying, well, the the budget really shows. (laughs) Kind of sad to say. Six million dollar movie. I mean, that's not nothing. That's not nothing at all. And they did pretty goddamn good. Mm -hmm. Especially in this one, I found. Yeah. So... When our when our good natured teacher trying to do the right thing basically has to come to the house, Walter's mom sissy basically says, "Step into my parlor. I'll rub my titties up against you." Man, she, I did not like her. She is confused. Thesis. I don't is what I could say about the character because I don't get that weird balancing act of seductress slash trying to mother slash 
The thing I hate is that it gives the excuse for the monster in a way. The monster in our story. Not an excuse, but it's like... You can look back and blame it on her mm-hmm. in a warped fucking way. And I don't I don't really fucking like that. Um, it would have been so much more true to form because she is a battered woman in suffering from battered woman syndrome in, in many, many ways. For her to be acting the way that she's acting initially when the teacher shows up at the door is just so backwards. So fucking backwards and so victim blaming. It's so wrong. And it does not fit. It just doesn't fit because she turns into that Mickey Mouse later on and they could have just had her be a meek mousy scared individual and it would have fit we wouldn't be having i wouldn't be ranting right now Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah like i said confused thesis i'm not exactly sure what the seductive that 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 flirtation i think the only reason for it in the script is so that people could turn around and say well he was so angry because she's probably like this I hate that. I would hope not. I would hope not. Too. But let's just hope. 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 When he when he's trying to get suffled out of that, we hear honking, and you're like, "What the fuck is that all about?" It's fucking David Allen Greer shows up. We think we're gonna get some couple of yucks here. Even I recognize the name, and I don't. I was never a in living color person to like. I never watched that comedy stuff. Snap, snap, hated it. I don't know what that. <laughs> It's a bit. Anyways, the we entered. This is Sissy's boyfriend, really. It's not Walter's father. Yeah, because she refers to herself as Miss. But I mean, he obviously lives there. Yeah, he claims it's his house. Yeah. So it might just be a live-in boyfriend common law situation. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what she's doing. Even if she was, let's say that this is she is married to this dude. It's Walter's stepfather. She's playing pretty fast and loose with her seductive skills if this dude is going to be home from work any moment. He says the weirdest thing right away, which is like, why didn't you get the door? Like, Why would she get the door? Do you like... Well, no, and I I was caught uh, off guard, not by that in this film, but by that in Death Note, when Light's dad comes home and the mother answers the door as if it's a visitor. Oh, that is weird. So I suppose that in some places there's people that just behave like that and the the wife or whoever's home maybe gets the door. I get my own door. Yeah, me too. I put my own shoes on. I got my own fucking keys and credit cards, Lydia. I'm a fucking fully realized individual. Mm-hmm. It is very strange, but it's just another method of control that this person has. Oh, for sure. And I guess like what is this supposed to be like this vaguely 50s attitude towards women where greet me at the door dinner better be ready and i want my martini is that what that is i guess not much different than the vaguely 50s or 1850s fucking ideals in the very next segment but anyway that's true yeah so it is a throwback to a very wrong and confused time and now we see that the entire place has changed the 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 mood has soured greatly the patriarch of the household is home, and that is not a good thing. Yeah, the mom even puts a sweater on to hide her nakedness. Curvaceousness, because who's this? And initially, he's coming on pretty strong, but then when he realizes the teacher, kind of just doesn't really give him the time of day. They have a conversation, and... Well, the mom's always trying. Like she's trying to just brush off. She's like, "Oh no, yeah, Walter's fine. The teacher just brought some homework, and he's going now." You know, 
Yeah, quite obviously reacting to the fact that she's going to get told or get beat for even having this person there, let alone if he were to say anything like what he says next, that Walter's having some trouble at school. And even at that, it gives the guy an out in a way, says, you know, about the bruises, like the bruises are one thing, but he's drawing these pictures of a monster. So he does this like this double thing where he mm-hmm. does mention the really big problem and just lets it sort of slide to talk about these monster pictures. The fact that he that Walter believes that there is a monster that lives in the house. Now, Carl, that's David Allen Greer's character. He says, "Yeah, I'll talk to him." That's not sufficient for Walter's teacher, Richard. That's the teacher's name. He's you talk to him. That's it. You're going to talk to him, and then he repeats himself. I'll talk to him as if the emphasis on talk means this is going to be this is going to be more than your average run of the mill talk, Lydia. <laughs> this is going to be a talk, talk, that kind of talk, you know, talk. Oh, the talk where you take your belt off and beat him within an inch of his life. That exactly. Kind of That's exactly. The talk about the bruises that I alluded to earlier. The actual reason I'm here. And that is the implication. The implication undoubtedly is this. Oh, Walter's not going to be talking about monsters and bruises anymore after today. That is the implication. Which is terrifying. But he gets the bum's rush from this family. And what is he supposed to do? Not to say he's overstayed his welcome already, but he has sort of overstayed his welcome. You know, if they weren't, you know, suspect of child brutality and this man wasn't just an absolute monster, as his namesake would lead us to believe... The teacher has sort of overstepped his jurisdiction as a school teacher at this time. Mm-hmm. So he gets the bums rush. Thanks for the tea. He's on his way out the door. And Carl's fucking already undoing his fucking sleeves, right? Like the button-up sleeves. And you know, rolling them up, he's fucking stomping upstairs. That is terrifying. That's stomp, stomp upstairs. And yeah, that's scary stuff. I, I Especially for a kid. You know, I... I this type of story can hit really hard in some cases for people. And, and, and I think that, but it's an important story that needs to be told. And sure enough, Carl is a monster in sadly the most non-supernatural way. Yeah. They do some good camera work as far as recreating a scene from the beginning where we do see the door shaking and we hear the stomping and the monster's voice and it sounds very supernatural, and that's juxtaposed and overlaid with mm-hmm. the actual human that's coming into this bedroom. Even though the door opens and we see this grotesque green trogdor arm. Yeah, and a silhouette with horns and misshapen. Yeah. It is, of course, just Carl. And he's speaking in a spooky, like, uh, affected voice. He's like, you like to draw messed up pictures of people. Well, he doesn't say messed up. He swears. He says fucked up. What the fuck? And he says, you want to draw fucked up pictures of people. Yeah. Which is crazy because there isn't any swearing so far mm-hmm. in this particular segment. And he has come across as being just this, you know, righteously angry, very proper businessman. Mm-hmm. But to be stomping into this kid's room and saying these terrifying things and this terrifying visage and ready to do what he's going to do, which is beat on this kid. 
mm-hmm. a terrible monster. And you can see exactly why. That's how this kid would personify him because that's what he's read Mm -hmm. is the most dangerous and terrible, scary thing in the entire planet is a monster or this guy. Mm -hmm. Especially when you think back to the line that Walter says to his teacher when he basically doesn't believe Walter and Walter says... He said that no one would believe me. Mm-hmm. It's like, who's like the monster? This idea that, you know, maybe Carl can present himself as kind of a nerdy looking, upstanding businessman. He's successful. He's got a job. He's got a nice house. Probably, he doesn't do these types of things. That's what happens in other people's houses. Maybe lower rung society people have these types of problems, but this is a, he's well off. Mm-hmm. Looks like it, right? Well off people don't. Don't do that type of stuff. But we know that's not true. And this basically calls to action. His mother finally finds herself and trying to tear him away. But he just, one depth move, fucking that belt comes off. But not for, he's like, he's big on the open palm strike to the face. That's his move, right? And and he does that to her a few times, drawing blood almost instantaneously. Oh, well, you can split a lip and break a nose pretty easy just like that. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. But he... And, when um and then he pulls off the belt and then he's just beating her and that scene goes on for a minute and a lot of the violence in this does go on for a long time so if anyone thinks they're going to be shying away from any of this like mm-hmm. they've shied away from any fucking problems that they're talking about in no. this in this film they don't shy away from this at all and it is a very brutal and very bloody scene here and that continues downstairs but the teacher's outside and he can hear the mother screaming and see the silhouettes in the bedroom yeah, good shadow play. And that is used a couple times in this segment. Really, really good shadow play to tell the story. And you'd say, like, this would be a technique they would use. So instead of showing him beating a kid or instead of showing him beating the mom, instead of showing him punching her in the face, they're going to use, like, the shadow. But they use both because they, they can't. They do, and why not? Yeah. And it really drives this message home. And there's no question about who the monster is and what the monster is doing, is there? Carl's got a fucking tatty on his arm that says monster on it. I don't know why you would get that. <laughs> Maybe he had some sort of wild and crazy youth. Maybe yeah. he was like Crazy K. Maybe he was he like was Crazy a gang K. Banger. Maybe Not the a... sexy kind, but the violent criminal kind. He could have been, and, and this is, you know, I'm a monster and you're right. He's got some fucking issues because not only is he now attacking Sissy, he's attacking Carl when you would almost think that serial abusers, when you get when you bring an outside force in there, they don't do any of that type of stuff because they sickly can keep it under control. But he's just fighting everybody yeah. when uh, Richard shows up, and it becomes this whole big fucking battle in the kitchen that basically, like, and I mean, they don't shy away from showing. It's not. The, that Walter getting hit is alluded to. They fucking straight up show that kid getting slapped around. Mm-hmm. Open palm strikes, getting knocked the fuck down. Sissy tries to hit him with a cast iron frying pan. We know how heavy those are. We do. We talked about how heavy cast iron frying pans are. And I do know someone that was hit with a cast iron frying pan. And it is not fun. No. It is not fun. Uh, she picks the smaller one out of the stack, which is easier for her to swing with, I'm sure. But... Unfortunately, she's not used to fighting with a cast iron frying pan. I think that we should have some training sessions for people who need to do that so that they can be a sure strike with a cast iron frying pan. 
if you're going to have a cast iron firing pan, you better know how to fight with it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. He wrestles it away from her and is about to smack her with it. And then all of a sudden, old Walter grabs that piece of paper that he drew that green fucked up monster on. And he folds its arm back. Which is, you know, you're like, what are you doing, kid? Making a paper airplane? Yeah. But, wow, it has an effect. Bends fucking Carl's arm in the most unnatural way. It just looks like it's curling, almost like you cut a hot dog in twain and put it in a microwave. Yeah, yeah, like spider dog. Exactly. I love spider dogs. That's what it's like. And then he folds another piece of paper right on the leg. And it fucking curls his leg. That's the most like the spider dog. Yeah, it does. And they're both like opposite, you know, akimbo. So it's a wonderful (laughs) scene, too, because this is probably where someone from the San Francisco Chronicle back in 1995 would have been like, this is where their budget is showing. But whatever. I don't care. How else would you do that? How? There's no contortionist. Well, there probably is a contortionist that can do this like the guy from The Void. But like there's... They're breaking his arms and legs in multiple places. Hell, pretty soon they're going to just crumple his spine. Mm-hmm. And the physicality to this is is kind of gut-wrenching. Kind of, kind of, maybe queasy. Oh, that's gross. They got some good Foley work in there. Lots of bone popping. Yeah. Because they twist the spine around. Walter presses him down. And then he basically is a pancake. A pancaked human being in the middle of the kitchen with everyone standing over him. He's still fucking shouting. Isn't over, bitch. Isn't over, bitch. He's fucking gun. Uh, but I like the look on little Walter's face because he's just like, this is what you get. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look uncommonly maniacal. He doesn't look like a kid that is... You know, going to turn out to be a sociopath after this. He doesn't look like a kid who's, you know, doesn't think this is going to work or like is just thinks that this is all fantastical in a, in a dream realm. He knows what he's doing and it's working and he's happy about it. It's a, it's a great look on that little kid's face. Then they just pop that fucker right on the stove, that mm-hmm. little piece of paper, and it burns up the paper and it burns up Carl. Yeah, no more monster. The end. Credits. That's why the body in the coffin is burnt to a crisp with its arm all twisted up. That's nice. That's nice. They're like, what happened to this guy? (laughs) This is where our 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 uh, our gang member friends are starting to question Sims and his the the validity of his stories. The validity of his stories. They're questioning that he's playing with dolls now. Within a second, they're like, "Hey, a burnt guy. Yeah, that's a crazy story. You're crazy. Why you got a doll?" Yeah, I know. I think he's like, this doll is a way station for lost souls, which I think I'm going to use that to explain any inanimate object. This pen is a way station for lost souls. In this place, I wouldn't be fucking surprised. That's the other thing. In Sim's funeral home, as if you would comment on the fact that you see some weird looking puppet. He's got weird looking shit all over. That's what I'm saying. Why did I notice it? What what makes this puppet more weird than anything else in this place? What makes it more weird than Sims himself? That is the most <laughs> distracting thing in here. Absolutely nothing. And it reminds me, this little doll reminds me of Robert the doll. All the stories of like, as far as possessed dolls go, the Robert the doll one. Mm-hmm. That's what this one looks like and reminds me of very much. I am also remembered the look of the doll than I did the story because it's kind of a bit of a yawner. What this tale is, this tale from the hood, is a story about 
a politician who seems to not like minorities of any kind, but he's running his ad campaign on, don't you just hate it when your jobs are given to minorities and you're totally qualified, but you're just, you were born the wrong color. And that color in this guy's opinion is white. White, when are are straight white males going to get a break in the United States? fucking guy and you know what i love about this story is this is the timelessness of social commentary and horror unfortunately in a way because things don't really change you can watch us and look at what happened in ferguson last year via v what had happened in the news with rodney king before this film was made or you can look at this and you know what has happened for generations and years as far as trying to water down and we'll slowly will water down all the all the racism Eventually, it'll take another three generations, I figure. The last uh, think piece I, I read on generational racism. But this guy, envisioned in 1995, is this kind of ruddy-faced, strawberry blondish, bad hair, kind of portly, kind of pink-in-the-face, shouting, racist-ish, red-tie-wearing politician. Suspenders suspenders not very good at talking to the press kind of sticks his foot in his mouth all of the time they're trying to train him out of this (laughs) who does he remind you of i don't know like since he's not tweeting right now i can't think of anybody yeah i blocked him on twitter entirely it's great but like yeah he looks a lot like a donald trump which is just eerie it's crazy how maybe back in 1995 you couldn't pinpoint a politician that you could it's even referring to that dude as a politician is mind-bending to me but it is it is but back in 1995 was there an equivalent where you could say oh yeah or is this it's it's fucking crazy how this thing is a caricature of a racist politician, a well-off white person attempting to make laws to keep the poor minorities down. And people would watch that movie in 1995 and say, wow, that's pretty, that's okay, dialed up to 11, but I get what you're doing here. And, and He's and, actually a, a better looking and more calm version of what we're That's That's the thing, was, like, with. that's yeah. the, the gong show that is our modern life now where this seems like kind of a muted version of what's real (laughs) yeah yeah hilarious hilarious when you put it like that because you're right it very much was a cartoon character that should never be in 1995 and here we are (laughs) yeah thinking well i wish he was that calm yeah i know that'd be almost more scary yeah it would be so yeah this story kkk comeuppance is about a politician who was a former KKK member. Who lives in a plantation house now. It's a nice touch, I guess. What a fucking goon. You want to just slap a guy for lack of self-awareness. Like, why Why anywhere? Why do you have to live there? But he's got himself a, a PR guy, basically, who just so happens to be black. Which is an interesting dynamic, but the 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 director talked about this talked about making his servant his friend his guy responsible to making him get elected his pr fucking handler handler 
to be a black person who knows full well that the person that he's trying to get elected is not on his side, but fuck it, he gets $10,000 a week. Which is a great pay. It was a great pay in 1995. It's a great pay now. I would like it very much. But I still, I don't think I'd like, it takes a special snake to be able to do what this guy is doing, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you say that the wrong person falls down the stairs, who knows? Who really knows? They they talk about the fact uh, the, the people who made this film talk about the fact that it's it's the it's a comeuppance for uh, the complacent nature of people. Well, they're not talking about me. I'm in a good position right now, so I'm not going to rock the boat. And again, it's kind of that idea of good men standing by and doing nothing, or people who are just getting just swept up in it. Because even this guy says fucking racial slurs. He's making racist jokes with his white racist friend. And he's also, but he does call him uh, a piece of shit, too. So True, but also, he, the, but that's kind of as far as he's going, right? He's like, you're a piece of shit. Anyways, this is how we're getting you elected. Yeah. yeah. And then he makes his damn spook joke. It's like, wow. Which is a nearly unbelievable thing for him to have said, but it is something that would have readily rolled off the tongue of his employer. Yeah. So his friend, by the way, there's protesters outside. There's a a combination of black and Jewish protesters. With signs that say things like, uh, Duke is puke. (laughs) I didn't even read the signs. Oh, that was a good one. I think the word puke caught my eye. Uh, Yeah. And amongst these protesters is Farmer Exposition, you called him? Holy fuck. This is one of those examples where I don't mind you having an old guy who knows the history of the houses and or the house and says, the dolls are going to get you. We've seen a Friday the 13th house, Ralph. Like, we, we're yeah. used to old guys. This guy fucking coming down and just, he looks so out of place. He doesn't, those clothes aren't his, that accent isn't his. Yeah. None of those things fit him. They could have found somebody that actually has a southern accent, someone that looks like a farmer, someone, or like an actor that could act, or, you know, maybe not make him a goddamn farmer. You could have made him a priest. Yeah, that a, priest, cool. a priest, or just like, he could have just been an old guy that's dressed like everyone else at this fucking rally. He's the only one Wearing, like, his fucking 18th century prospector hat. Like, what the hell are you doing? I think the thing that that strikes me the most about this guy when I think about it is that all of his clothes were new and so brightly colored. That's the thing. jean overalls were definitely brand new because they were still fresh indigo straight from the Lee jeans factory. Mm -hmm. So, and his plaid shirt was, like, brand new. It was all, like, brand new looking. Mm -hmm. So, it just didn't fit. Like, fresh uniform for this farmer. Yeah, absolutely. It's a you're the farmer guy, but he basically tells the news reporters outside. There is an old story that goes in this house, and there's slaves that died here, and they want reparations. At the very least, they don't want anyone in the house. Now, Duke will mirror this story when he looks at a mural on the wall and sees an old woman sitting in a rocking chair, and she's surrounded by all these fucking dolls. Mm-hmm. And his handler's asking about it, because I guess he didn't know the story. He's probably from out of state, I'm (laughs) guessing. But, yeah, when the owner of the plantation had to face his slaves being free, hundreds of slaves, he freaked out because he didn't want them to go. And he owned them in his mind, and he killed them all. It was a straight-up massacre. Mm -hmm. And, like, the politician Duke 
explains to us that there were 12 bodies hanging from that tree out there alone. So the, the grounds are stained with the blood of slaves that were killed by the owner of the house. Mm-hmm. This elderly woman, this older black voodoo priestess, moves into the house. Miss Cobbs. Miss Cobbs. That's a wonderful name. She enchants these dolls with the souls, the unrested souls of all of the slaves that died on the grounds. And allows them to live at least peacefully in, in this house, which makes sense to me. And if only this house would have been passed down to someone who would have turned into a museum or something. That's what my wish would be for this plantation. But no, it falls into the hands of this like ultra racist dude. Okay. Uh, the dolls are nowhere to be found though. They're immortalized on this mural, but there are no there's no evidence of dolls. You don't see dolls around the house. And he believes that they're probably it's probably all just a myth. It's all just a story. The townsfolk seem to know it. They called it the dollhouse, so it must have been true, I figure, but yeah, there's no dolls to be seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When Duke's assistant, Rhodey, is trying to get him through the paces about how to handle hostile reporters. Anything can happen. So these are the types of questions that you'll get, and these are the types of responses that you're going to give. That's where he finishes things off with his stupid spook joke. Yeah. It's asking him, aren't you afraid of the ghosts in your house? And he says, the only spooks I'm afraid of are the ones with guns. Yeah, he's doing kind of like a an, a, a, an impression of his fucking friend there. Yeah, and... Duke is like, oh, I'm going to use that. And he's like, no, you will not if you want to get elected. Uh, yeah. Which is neat because later on in the story, he does almost walk into that horrible spook. Because the reporters are literally verbatim asking the exact same questions in the exact same order. So his PR guy was doing a good job that way. Yeah. And he was giving penny. these responses that we had heard while they were practicing. Um, but the only spooks he's afraid of are you spooky reporters. Oh my God. So at least he saves himself there in that instance and doesn't say what he said but that joke does have them they have a moment of mirth i guess as it as it was and i knew that it was going to happen because somebody's walking backwards with a camera right near a stairway and while they're joking around about this not funny spook joke um which is actually kind of funny but like in a world where racism doesn't matter or doesn't exist then it's a funny joke Because I'm afraid of ghosts with guns, too. Ghost guns? Like ghosts of guns that have died? (laughs) Ghosts of guns that have died. (laughs) Well, no, just ghosts with guns. Because ghosts can, like, levitate objects. Like, poltergeists. Like, Enfield poltergeists. He threw, like, things right at the guy's face. Yeah, I suppose they could. Yeah, if they can manipulate, you know, a ghost could shoot a gun, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. I figured the ghost of Chow Yun-Fat would probably shoot a lot of people. Mm Mm-hmm. When he dies, so look out, guys. Man, look out, guys is right. Anyways, the <laughs> the point being is, well, the ghost can shoot syringes at a person and nail them to a crucifix with them. That's true. Turn them into a, a mural of their own. Do you think that's what happened to Miss Cobb? She got she got turned into the mural. <laughs> Seems to be because it is pretty supernatural. It is pretty supernatural, but she's locked in the painting. But we, oh, Rody. Goes ass over tea kettle down these fucking stairs. And we see out of the corner of our eye a little dolly that he tripped over. But Duke doesn't see that. And we go to a funeral and it's very sad. And they're in the limousine. And he sees a doll and he says, hey, who let who got into the car and brought this doll here? Nobody. Throw it outside. 
So he goes home, I guess, in sadness because he misses his PR consultant. So he, who, by the way, this plantation is empty. So not only was Rhodey his PR assistant, he literally was his only friend. Yeah. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have kids that we see. There's no other staffers at this fucking massive house. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. It's super fucking weird. Because politicians, generally speaking, especially an old, like like a white racist Southern politician, he's going to have like his fucking eight Patrick Bateman children. Yeah. All in matching slacks, right? Let alone an entourage, protégés, friends, weasels. Kato Kalen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this house would be packed with people, but whatever. I understand you need to have a, a closed space so people can... The horror can happen. Or also, I'm thinking that the fact that he doesn't actually live in this house, he's just being an asshole. Yeah. So he's in there, also kind of being an asshole. He's watching the video <laughs> that he shot of his, of his recently dead friend. Yeah, he's like, he's like, oh, Rody, how I miss thee. You are my only friend in this old plantation dollhouse. I'm going to watch you die. Yeah, watch the video <laughs> of you dying that I shot as you died just one more time. But yeah. in this viewing, he notices something out of the corner that, that he didn't notice. As his friend is flying down the stairs and he drops the camera downward, there's a doll. Mm-hmm. Fucking uses VCR powers to get that image just right. And sure enough, it's a doll. And it's the same doll that was in the limousine that he threw outside. We get to see some really cool doll point of view here. We do. It's like the opening sequence of Puppet Master. It really is. And I like the doll animatronics in this. No, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's really fantastic. Or the claymation, whatever it is. I think it's stop motion. Yeah. But when you... It's a combination because they definitely have a, a, a doll. From what I remember, they made... When the doll's at the door, it's definitely stop motion. It's done quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the doll's coming at the camera and, and it's almost like a close-up, I really love that mm. that shot. I don't. It's, it's a strange combination. Very effective, though. It looks yeah. great. The, the doll's a biter. Yeah, big time. Yeah. And so what well, it doesn't we, have many knives. That's true. What we have is a bit of a cat and mouse game now. Not unlike the cat from hell Yeah. from the last film that we did. But this time, it's a guy versus a puppet, and he's fighting the puppet, and he's got his shotgun, and he eventually catches it. Because he, he fucking, like, hand-to-hand com- combats this fucking doll. The and- doll is super tough, because he can't seem to be able to push this, like, doll that is probably made of balsa, wood, and clay away from him at all, which is supernaturally he awesome. He beats it with an American flag. Of with- course he does. What would you beat a supernatural doll of a slave with? Yeah, it's true. I was like, I'm going to beat you with the American flag. It's actually the wrong flag. There's a different flag that he could, that might have had some sort of effect. Maybe? Yeah. The shunned flag. He eventually fucking attaches this fucking guy to, this poor little doll to uh, a dartboard. And then takes ten paces back and blows his fucking head off with a shotgun. That's only the beginning of the nightmare. By the way, one of the things that he'll notice is that the doll is no longer present from Miss Cobb's. Painting. It's a, it's a white outline. It's just, yeah, a white... It's like it's being cut out of the painting. Mm-hmm. When he goes back into the room after he's locked the door, he sees that, oh, shit, there's like four or five of those dolls from the painting now missing. Mm-hmm. Two little dude dolls and two little lady dolls. Mm-hmm. 
Oops. What I don't get is that we saw that the dolls are under the floorboards. At least, at least one of them. Yeah. yeah. So that leads me to believe there's dolls in the well. There's dolls in the attic. There's dolls hiding. They're hiding in the structure of the house somewhere. Um, so they have to come out of the painting? Or is that the souls that are in the painting? Because actual physical dolls aren't in the painting. The physical dolls are somewhere on the property. Mm-hmm. I would say it's the souls. Oh, the souls. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Four puppets have now gained souls and are coming after this guy. This is true. When he's hunting around the fucking plantation, shouting racial slurs, firing his shotgun. If you're sensitive to words, like, the only um, one that he uses you might not get is niglet, um, because it it does sound like piglet. But other than that, he uses pretty much every racial slur that you can imagine. So if that gets your goat. Some of that was ad-libbed by the actor. Um... People were uh, really, again, like, he is this larger-than-life stereotype of what a a racist Southern politician would be like. Sadly, in a world in which politics are what it is, you know, people say cocksucker now. It's true. And to have him be 100% believable, what are the uh, slurs and insults that are going to roll off his tongue? He's not going to be calling everyone a, a dang jerk. You know, yeah, no, yeah. it doesn't work like that. Um, there are a lot of like authors that will not use racial slurs or inflammatory language in their work. And that's fine. Whatever. There are other authors that not that they're backed into a corner to use it, but if it's going to be accurate and topical and time uh, appropriate, they're going to be using like very colorful language mm-hmm. that a lot of people wouldn't like but you're not supposed to like the people that are using this fucking language no right? they're 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 characters and they're supposed to make you feel something yeah so if this character makes you feel vitriol and hatred and and disgust good they did it right yeah yeah so don't expect this this guy this like porky pig looking dude to be stomping around this old plantation house saying gosh yeah. darn it that's what the <laughs> you little fool you know it's not gonna happen there's gold in them hills like <laughs> that's the Farkin farmer that's like warning them against. Yeah, He's got that old fucking exactly what he sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> he sort of sounds like the raving guy in the desert in Natural Born Killers. <laughs> this is hell. This is hell. <laughs> that's who he sounds like to me. Except that guy was wasn't an actor apparently. No, no. He was just some guy they encountered out in the desert and turned a recorder on him. Who knows, though? Back to this fucking movie. There was two endings for this film. One, the ending that the studio gave them notes and people who watched the film screeners, they call them, gave them notes. Originally, Duke was supposed to get jumped by this mob, seen missing, and his body was supposed to be discovered hanging from the tree outside the property, lynched like so many of the slaves that were originally on this plantation. It's a fitting ending. Fitting ending to a, a real piece of shit. But 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 people rightfully said, no, we we want to see what the puppets do to them. I get that because I had had a complaint in Tales from the Crypt that you don't get to see this cat get its comeuppance. And the stories are very similar in that way. We've got one guy alone in a house up against supernatural force. Here we get to see it. And I'm glad that this is a state of the studio 
or this, I'm glad that this is a result of the studio listening to the screeners and listening to the opinion of their their focus groups mm-hmm. to change something for the better. Although I submit that they could have had this existing ending where the puppets have at it and the guy hanging from the tree. Mm-hmm. The big challenge for the creators were saying, listen, you want to see the puppets doing stuff that's going to cost money because these puppets don't animate themselves. And so the studio apparently forked over the necessary money. They're like, no, okay, we get it. We want to see the dolls do stuff that costs money. Here's the money. So it was pretty cool that that happened for sure. And I love the scene. There's hundreds of, well, hundreds might be pushing it, but there's 50 plus dolls all there in a big mob. And he foolishly can't fucking load his shotgun for the life of him so he's got no bullets he's locked in the room with these things and much like in a lot of puppet master movies where you're saying to yourself how can these little dolls kill anybody well it's because a lot of the main characters are gonna fall down or stay on the ground or lie down on the ground and just let these things crawl all over them and not try to roll or do anything really to mm-hmm. defend themselves and these things fucking just bite them to death. they like fucking rip them apart there's just it's like a swarm of rats <laughs> they really behave like a swarm of rats Oh, yeah. Which I just watched The Rats not long ago, so I'm really enjoying this. Nice. And then old Miss Cobb comes out of the painting herself, and then she just sort of, her spirit manifests just by it in the rocking chair, just rocking gently in our, and the original slave doll that was in her hands is just in her arms now, just yeah. chilling. She reminds me of, like, um, Mother Abigail from mm. The Stand. They didn't like that story very much, <laughs> our three thugs. No. Gang bangers. They didn't. Yeah. But I can tell you a story that they're going to like even less. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Because we're up to hardcore convert. Let me tell you a story about a man named Crazy (laughs) Gay. I did not like this story. I remember when I initially watched this anthology, I was like, you know, this is all very well and good. I enjoy this as a horror film. I'm enjoying this in its Twilight zone ways. I'm enjoying this because of its decent acting. It's got very decent acting, and it's got such a wide gamut of types of people in it. It's it's representative, for good or bad, of many different walks of life. And I really enjoy that up until this uh, segment. And this is where it was, like, started with the gangster rap and the um, fucking gangbanger drug and fucking gangs and guns focus that I just was like, oh, great. Here we are with our really horrible stereotypes. Now that I'm older, I can I see more of the story. I understand more of the actual story. And I really can appreciate a lot more of the setting, too, because it's a very dark city. Mm. This Machiavellian, strange program that he's put under in this prison is just horrifying. Mm. And really filmed very well. The color palette in this segment is great i really enjoy that i still don't enjoy crazy k himself crazy k is is quite a a reprehensible character and i think he's supposed to be but essentially what crazy k is and is is an exceptionally violent criminal he's a, a gang member He's what these lyrics to the more violent gangster rap this is who they're written about Mm -hmm. because it's like an existing song actually fits them far too well 
Mm-hmm. So when he sees somebody who either was talking shit about him or doing something, something against him in, in any way, shape, or form, guy drives by him, Crazy K literally turns his fucking car around. And goes and, and guns him down. Goes and guns him down outside of the guy's house. His friends come out and then are involved in a shooting and Crazy K gets shot in the back and his uh, the, the, the three guys that came out of the house get mowed down the, by the police. Crazy K comments on the fact that he is ironically saved by the fucking cops. And that's when Crazy K gets sent to jail and it's been... I think a number of years later, it's been like two years or something like that later. And it looks like he's been doing sit-ups for about two years. He's been doing sit-ups for a couple of years. He's, his K is looking extra shiny inside of it in his, in his head. His sideburns look great. And uh, he's about to be introduced to fucking chick from Touched by an Angel. Like, it's weird. Like she, <laughs> <laughs> It's not the Touched by an Angel's chick. No, it's not. Okay. She is a girl that used to play in, um, I think it's General Hospital, one of the soaps anyway. Rosalind Cash, really mm-hmm. wonderful actress. And this was one of her last roles. I That's what I heard. Eerily yeah. enough, she died on Halloween the very year that this came out. Really? What did she die of? Cancer. Oh. So she probably would have been suffering with cancer as we see her in this, her last role. Very, very interesting. Very, mm-hmm. very interesting. No, no, no. Yes. Um, now I feel bad about my touch by an angel comment. Uh, well, I didn't... She kind of was. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah, but she's playing uh, She's playing Dr. Cushing in this. Dr. Cushing gives him an offer. How could he possibly refuse? If you submit to our experimentation, to our process. Reprogramming. Reprogramming. You could be out on the streets today. No more prison. Sign me up. Sign me fucking up. Then all of a sudden, she, he is walking down a corridor. It looks like Anton first fucking designed it. It's just this really weird, impressionistic, dark city, like industrial, vague, 50s sci-fi like i'm running out of things to describe it with it's so weird yeah it's it's a it's a really like um harshly lit but drab setting with gears and chains and pulleys and metal and gun metal and brushed metal and any type of rusted metal you can imagine everyone looks like cosplayers like the nurses are wearing like these weird it's like steampunk very steampunk influence with steampunk wasn't even a thing maker culture was getting more popular in 1995, mm-hmm. but not to the extent that it is now. And I certainly didn't have a fucking title, but it is this like, you know, post-industrial impressionistic landscape of bleak hopelessness and medical criminal justice experimentation run amok. That's what the setting says to you, <laughs> let alone what we're about to see. He's thrown into a cage which isn't like a cell. It's like a cell. It is a cell. I'm sure they call it a cell amongst friends, but it's like more of a cage because it's like a squat cell. It's about waist high. Mm -hmm. And he's shoved into this subterranean, dimly lit, huge rusted metal cage Mm -hmm. alongside another prisoner. A white prisoner with an elaborate array of nazi tattoos Mm. and if at first glance you're not familiar with what's going on with his ink he's got a nice portrait of hitler on his tummy yeah he's got hitler on him he's got 
swastikas. He's a white supremacist. Quite obviously skinhead. And uh, his ink is really good. I saw later in the credits that they did employ a tattoo artist. So that's why these the tattoos look believable. And they look mm-hmm. good. They're well done tattoos. Um, really well done tattoos. And some of them are kind of a cool motif save the swastikas and the... Um, SS symbols and things like that. He has a very cool dagger on his arm. Unfortunately, it says nigger killer on it. We were saying, you know, if it said anything else. If it said anything other than that. If it said Hufflepuffle. Hufflepuffle, there you go. Something, anything. It would be a very Even if it just said bad dude. Bad dude. Bad dude. This guy. Pasta killer. Pasta killer. A friend of mine was in a film called Pasta Killer is why it comes to mind. I don't know if the knife would be bloody, but maybe it's marinara. I would just assume a pasta killer would be something you would etch on a fork. Mm. <laughs> maybe it's on his other arm. Oh, maybe it's a knife and a fork. Pasta killer. He's got to do the X and it forms the fucking letters. Someone might get the wrong idea. That's true. Yeah. But. He is a tough uh, mother as well. So you've got these two dueling perso- personalities, quite obviously. This, you know snake in the grass kind of deck of a hardened criminal white supremacist beside this kind of manipulative uh, psychopathic thug mm-hmm. and this guy in the fucking cage next to him starts sermonizing essentially he starts going all helter skelter with his fucking race wars exactly and- helter skelter that's what i was thinking of when he was going on too and i also envisioned must be a plant i remember watching this scene initially as a kid and not really understanding it i didn't understand why this white supremacist would say you're i'm cool with you i didn't it was just confusing it was a it was weird i had never seen i i i, I knew what a skinhead was so when i saw this guy with his tattoos it wasn't an alien concept where i said what are those i did understand that much i just didn't understand the message the message being quite clear whether you're a white supremacist or you're crazy k whether you're a white man or a black man they're both killing black men. And because of the fact that Crazy K essentially spent his life killing black people. He's no different than he, that white supremacist. He's beside in a jail cell. They both have ended up in the exact same place for the exact same thing. And so this white supremacist counts Crazy K as a black person who is on his side. Because he's you know, doing the Lord's work, killing all these black people for us. It's an absolutely mind-bending thing. And it's really, you know, if you don't get it mm-hmm. here. And I no blame for not understanding it as a kid. Even somebody under the age of 18 who hasn't, you know, at this time when I would watched it, I had done numerous projects and, and class projects on the war. Uh, we'd gone through the Rodney King trial. We'd seen a lot of this in the news, and this had been a lot of conversations my parents had been having. I understood full well what a white supremacist was. And so it wasn't lost on me. I was still very turned off of the of Crazy K himself. And I, I didn't see people like that very often, so... I hardly believe they existed, and he was just way too off the charts as far as a thug Mm. to me. And then they go many steps forward in the story and grind this idea in. Mm -hmm. With a montage 
with images that a court like are legitimate. And so it's images of lynchings and 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 just murder and and mayhem and lynchings stuff. and murder and it starts to hit almost beat for beat because it's like uh, old footage from KKK rallies mm-hmm. versus um, Black Panther rally and then pictures in the news of people having gunned down a lot of black people with racially motivated murder and then. Uh, drug and gang violence motivated murder mm-hmm. and the outcome is very similar even in the photos you see uh, photos of a black man with an axe in his head and mm-hmm. by that point you're questioning like i don't know where this fits in this story they're telling me they're showing me white on black violence black on black violence and then they're just showing um, and it's many many images very visceral and very gory yeah death. it goes it goes on for a couple minutes yeah. mm-hmm. Um, so you get to a point where you're like, well, I don't know where this fits in. It's just a dead black man. So I don't know where this fits on what side this fits. And then they start really juxtaposing and overlapping the Mm -hmm. images. So you're like, okay, I get it. We're not supposed to know. And we're not supposed to care where the violence is coming from. It's the fact that it is violence. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the greater quotes from the great thinker on addiction, Gabor Mate, Dr. Mate, uh, says, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. And here you've got uh, an instance where you're not supposed to ask who is doing this. You're supposed to ask just why in general and not look to who is doing these things. And they and they get that. We get it. You know, they do a very good job of drilling this into us with strobe lights and many, many visceral, gory pictures. Not so much now because I get it. It's not an enjoyable scene to watch by any means. No, it's a tough sit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do still feel kind of like, yes, yes, I get it. You don't need to continue barking at me. When I was a kid, though, well, not a kid, like a young teen, I felt that I was being beat about the head with the idea. Mm-hmm. So this became my least favorite segment. Now it's my, my second favorite segment. I mean, the gyro psyche thing alone is quite interesting to look at, right? Like, the way that they plug him into this fucking thing looks god-awful. It's almost like being embalmed, because they have him strapped all down. They put, like, great big uh, gloves on him and things that remind me of, like... Putting um, the tubes in. Putting almost like... There's almost some BDSM aspects to it, because the the, the the mouth apparatus almost looks like a ball gag. And Oh, it reminds me of something that you would use to... to um put in formaldehyde and the thing out of the nose is to like pump it all out or vice versa Mm. yeah pump stuff out of your guts that's what i thought of not so much a ball gag but i guess it is kind of they've got that brace right over his dick too which his his big juicy hog he's wearing some scandalous underwear he is wearing some scandalous underwear and that shit's finessed because i'm sorry dicks don't lay straight like that no, no. So, I mean, he's wearing scandalous underwear. I was like, that thing's not moving to the side. I was like, that was finesse. That was like, your dick goes here, sir. I don't know much about the mechanics of men's underwear and how you're supposed to have your dick. but It's he's... just like that straight down. Like so Usually, like it'll pick a side, right? It's kind of flopped over here. It's flopped over. It just flops around, right? Yeah, yeah. But this was like perfectly straight. Maybe there's a tiny pocket in these underwear. Oh, maybe there is. And, like, my dick goes in here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort of like those elephant trunk ones of the cobras. Yeah, I've seen those yeah, around. Yeah, because, like, if you wore those under... If you wore those around every single day, you wouldn't be flopping from time to side. It would keep you pretty much... Straight. My problem with men's sexy underwear is I would go to the, the It store and stuff like that, Happy Days, and you'd see, like, the elephant thong and shit like that. And I'd always just be thinking, come on, guys. 
It's like my dick's enough of a joke as it, as it is. Why has it got to be funny? Why can't anything be sexy? I just want to look sexy. I always thought like how how much fun is that going to be to get your dick into the elephant trunk? Don't you have to be kind of have a have a semi to even get the stupid thing to sit in there properly? It depends if you're a grower or a shower. Ah, true. Yeah, that is very very true. Even so, if you're a shower, you're still going to be limp when you're putting on your goddamn underwear. Well, maybe when you're in front of your lady, it's so sexy that the trunk comes up. But my point mm. being is like, it, 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 it's just, fi- I find it very confusing because if I were to whip off my pants or like come to the room and like drop my silken robe, because I have one, mm-hmm. what, what is, what is that? What is that? Like what? I, it's not hot. So am I supposed to, am I trying to get a laugh out of my partner? Isn't this funny? Do you want to have sex? She'd be like, God, no. That's what I didn't like about Wayne's were always doing like the dick helicopter and stuff. It's like, no, why? Why are you making such a joke of your sexuality? It's not funny. Anyway, uh, so the guy's wearing a banana hammock. Yeah. Very much so. He's got a big old juicy hog, too. It's very distracting in a good way. More distracting to you than I. Well, maybe. But, like, <laughs> I'm just concentrating on that whole thing. It's like the whole uh, story fell apart after that moment because I was just like, geez, it's a big dick. Anyways, after his image, he's understandably rattled. Like, listen, he's rattled by the time he spoke to the white supremacist, but he's still mean mugging. He's still fucking, you know, he's hard as fuck. He's crazy K. Crazy K. Man, Crazy K himself in the in, in the flesh. And with all the music they're playing with the particular lyrics. And I didn't even get to mention, I totally forgot to mention, um, where they're using the song Strange Fruit by Nina Simone in the first segment, which makes it incredibly sad um, if you're a Nina Simone fan. And, and get that song and you're paying attention to song lyrics. They're using that song extremely effectively well. And I think that's a big Spike Lee influence there as much as... The gangster rap in this segment is very indicative of how crazy Crazy K is, mm-hmm. right? So what do we expect? We're going to expect him to undergo 10 seconds of Ludovico technique, the, the KKK versus gangbanger Ludovico technique, and have him reduced to tears and crying, mm. I'm sorry, while he's choking on his own nose snot? No. He's going to be defiant. To the very end. Even when all the ghosts... Of people that he has killed come to tell him, this shit ain't right. Why'd you kill me, man? He killed people for money. He killed people for pride. He killed people by accident. A, a little girl with a stray bullet. His his only defense to her was a bullet doesn't have a name on it. Mm-hmm. It just happened. What happened? You were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's not my Which fault. is such a crazy thing to say to a little girl that just said, I was in my room playing and one of your bullets killed me. Mm-hmm. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time, kid. Yeah, okay. Fate, you want to go into that? But, like, yeah, he's not apologetic. No. Defensible because in the real the real message that Dr. Cushing is trying to evoke from this guy is an admittance that he is responsible for his own actions. That despite what the life has thrown at him, it's his duty from that point on to make something of it and what he chose was death he chose to kill endlessly because this room is full of bodies which is something that you could extend to any fucking person who blames the way that they are on their past or their upbringing or their environment they don't need to succumb to that they just fucking don't 
And I think that's the thing, the problem I had as a teen with this and a problem I still have today is that I can barely believe that fucking idiots like this guy exist. And I noticed in this time around where they allude to him having a high IQ. And I'm like, no, he fucking doesn't. He fucking can't. That or he does have a chemical imbalance, which they don't talk about. That's it's very, very aggravating to me. This, this whole segment's very aggravating. But the ghosts begin to disappear as he shouts them down one by one while he's arguing with Dr. Cushing. Tries to put the screws to him, but eventually he grabs one of the nurses and says he's going to break her neck. So again, when challenged, when put up his back against the wall, his first and only reflex is to kill. Yeah, anger and violence, even though the doctor is an inch away from pleading with him Mm -hmm. to just think about it, just give another chance, just try to find something within yourself to forgive and to apologize and admit that you didn't need to do all these things and that you're sorry. Mm -hmm. And it basically just turns into his mantra. I don't give a shit. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. It's even harder than that. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. It is this thing that he is reassuring reassuring himself with. That's what a lot of people who are putting on this tough front. Yeah, I don't give a shit as a peaches song. (laughs) Right. Besides the teachers of peaches, it's it's this front that you put up. I don't give a fuck. And that's nothing bothers me. I am the way I am because fuck it. And this is what I am and everyone else can kiss my ass and I don't feel bad for anything I've done, even though he clearly fucking does. And because even when he's backed up against the wall before he goes to violence, he's like, what about everyone else? Like, no one cares about me, so why should I care about them? And again, it's that question of you have to take responsibility for the fact that just because people didn't care about you, just because people wronged you, it's still up to you to not stoop to that, right? Yeah. So he comes to... And in this moment, it is some... still like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. We get it. He does not give a fuck. And so whatever this test was, this chance was, is lost. And he is back where he started on the ground saying he doesn't give a fuck with three guns of those same three people not killed by the police in the opening sequence of this story. And they say, fuck, you don't give a fuck? And they riddle him with bullets. They empty their clips into his body. And very bright red blood looks great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the end of it. And we're back at Sim's funeral home. And man, did the boys not like that story. Yeah, the stories are getting worse and worse and worse. At least with Tales from the Crypt, we end up for the love, love story, which sort of made the main character of the story be a little bit happy with the final story. This story is triply upsetting to our three little midnight thugs that are there after the shit. They fucking pull guns on this guy. Yeah, they don't like it that much. Yeah. The reason is, is because they know Crazy K. They know him quite well, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. They were the ones, they were the three people that came out of the house after Crazy K killed their friend and then in turn killed them. So now, clearly, Sims knows this. And I'm thinking to myself, if Crazy K had this complete mindfuck head trip with heaven or hell or whoever the hell he was talking to in his head in those few seconds before he, you know, got shot. And, like, the seconds between the time he hit the ground and got fucking filled with bullets by these three guys. 
How would Sims have known that? Nobody knew that. That took place entirely in Crazy K's head. Mm-hmm. Who would have known that? Nobody would have known that. So I have my doubts that it even happened. Well, these guys can't risk it. They're going to fucking ace this guy, but not before they get the shit lids. The yeah. shit is why they're there. And they're an inch away from just shooting him anyway. They honestly are. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, if I were in there, she's I wouldn't believe that this guy had anything. I thought I think this was just all some ruse. This is what you want us to. Are you a cop? Is that what you are? He's a weird cop, man. He's a very weird cop. Velvet jacket, <laughs> cigar smoke, crazy hair. hair. Yeah. Fucking eyes going in fifty different directions, like he's a damn chameleon. So he leads them down to the basement. Because where else would he keep the shit? He's fucking turning on his... He's got those those touch light bulbs. I love those. Yeah, they're this nice. This is really cool. Yeah, I need bare light bulbs hanging all over the place that I can just touch. Even though I probably wouldn't because I usually don't have lights this on. This is the first indication that's really blatant indication that Sims could be supernatural of any kind. Mm-hmm. You get another worldliness from his fucking presence. This time... Okay, what is he doing? Does he have powers? They don't seem to notice. They're very fixated on the shit and also keeping their guns trained on this old man. They fucking slap him. They pistol whip him. They do all kinds of shit to him. And he says, he says the shit. Where else would I keep it? It's in these three caskets. The three boys go into the room, open up the caskets. And what do their eyes see but... Them dressed like fucking boys to men. Quite. They clean up well. They They really do. They look really good. Dapper, I might say. They do, but it's like that fucking solid, like, fucking polyester suit numbers and, like, the gold chains they still have around their necks. Everyone should dress nicer than they could ever be dressed by a mortician. Maybe. Those suits probably don't have backs on them, though. Oh, of course they don't. Yeah, it's like my bare ass coming out. It's like I'm wearing a really nice blanket. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> if you're even wearing pants, you're yeah. probably not wearing pants. Probably not. They're probably not wearing pants at all. Not even banana hammocks. Like their friend Casey, Crazy K. But what the fuck's going on? They don't like this shit. They train their guns on Sims. And Sims tells them a brief but accurate story. That it turns out that Crazy K had some friends of their own. And, well, they went to retaliate against the three people that killed Crazy K. And, well, I guess you didn't make it. It is a lovely story. And then we have some some ghost guns, I suppose, because the guns um, that are trained on Sims suddenly turn fucking fiery hot in Mm. all their hands and they have to drop their guns. Instead of use them, which is nice, because I think those bullets would have just went straight through Sims anyway. Mm-hmm. Which would have been a, another nice trick, but he has this trick instead. Makes them drop their guns while they sit there and fret over their own dead bodies in the coffins. Yeah, and they really are freaking the fuck out. But then... Like, what kind of funeral home is this? It ain't no funeral home. Welcome to hell. Motherfuckers. That motherfucker's is the best one. Listen, they say motherfucker in this movie once. They say it a hundred goddamn times. But nobody says it with the fucking gravitas of Clarence Williams III. A.K.A. Satan. (laughs) Or some random demon. doesn't look exactly Satan to me. But uh, 
what a fucking fun idea. Because if I had three new visitors in hell, I'd be like, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to tell them a bunch of stories because I'm bored. You know, this is worse than the Shinigami death realm, I'm sure, where it's just boredom day in, day out. Yeah. I shake it up a little bit. And that's what he's doing. That's the the, show. the director, uh, Rusty, he literally just said that the concept was the fact that Satan was just fucking with them. Yeah. Because why not? It's just he's going to have some fun. He's going to enjoy himself while he's revealing to these people that they're dead. It's a pretty fun morph from Sims, of funeral home director, into the horned beast of Satan. The snake tongue going through his, his very prominent gap tooth mm-hmm. is very, very cool. The, 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 the makeup looks fantastic. The devil looks cool. I like the devil. And then, yeah, you know, some of the fire effects don't look that great. But uh, it looks pretty good, though. Like, it looks cool. And and The last segment is the only one, though, that doesn't have any sort of voodoo thing to me. Like, the dolls are very voodoo of a voodoo fetish. Like, it's um reminds me of puppets in a way. Like, there's many different ways to use dolls in Santeria. So did you want, like, did you want it to be, like, a Baron Samadhi type character? Like, a, a witch doctor? or no, no, I just can't see where the thread is because I followed this tiny little voodoo thread. It's a very tiny, faint mm-hmm. one through the first stories. But this last story, just no. It's all very clinical. It's all very now. It's all very gangs and guns and reformation and deal with the devil. Um, mm-hmm. maybe. I think the message that the director and the producer were talking about which I agree with, which is classic horror in that the evil that we see in this film is by man and redemption and savior come in the form of the supernatural. So the things that can redeem bad people are make-believe things. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very interesting. I think, like, so I'm I'm always, I'm looking at this film as, like, the generic umbrella of supernatural, which Satan is included within that, voodoo is included within that. Because we have revenge spirits in this. We have voodoo dolls. Like, we have kids basically performing voodoo. And, and But again, like, there's also this 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 blend, this Haitian blend of uh, mysticism that would exist in the United States with so many cultures getting brought in. And, the, like, so much more to Santeria for me because it's so wrapped around the Roman Catholic hierarchy of saints and angels. Um, so as to be indistinguished from Haitian voodoo. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I do see that very melting pot of supernatural mm-hmm. uh, deities, beliefs, ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but all very faint, all underneath a very Twilight Zone, and well-written, put-together anthology store with a cool wraparound. Mm-hmm. So like I said, Funeral Home, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. I For anybody who might have missed this one or who might have thought that it was a goofier movie or something like that. Or if you think Get Out is the first horror movie to talk about black issues. That's the thing. Like, you know, as much as like Get Out is, is a wonderful accomplishment and I can't wait to see more of, of horror like this. Other people were trying to do the exact same thing and, tr- and trying to allow uh, black creators to tell black stories 
within the horror genre. And I think Tales from the Hood is a fantastic example of that. It really is. I want to cover... I've had it on the list for quite some time. We're going to do Beloved coming up in February, even though I don't like to kowtow to Black History Month, because I do agree with the statement that every fucking month is Black History Month. Just like I don't like to kowtow to Women in Horror Month, because I'm in a woman. Do I only exist in February? Unfortunately for you, not. But... Might as well fucking do it then. Also, with our two-week schedule, we've got some stuff booked up. So it'll be a bit till we get to Beloved as much as it is my Beloved. And I want to get to that movie very much because it might not be top of mind to people as a horror movie. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful story, though. And it has some expert acting from Oprah Winfrey, of all fucking people. Oh, one of the world's most powerful women. Yeah, she truly, truly terrifyingly is because I would rather Martha Stewart over O'Brien Day because Martha doesn't flip-flop as much. There you have it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Devastating and treatise on Oprah. <laughs> coming up, though, we do have some more puppets. We do have more puppets. We are going to be handling the Charles Band full moon production of Puppet Master. Which is awesome. I picked up, uh, me and Chris went to the turning point here in Ottawa, mm-hmm. which has always feeds me such wonderful treats and has so many films, so many fucking films that we've done on this show and that Chris has done on Bind Torture Cast. So if anyone listens to our shows and wants to pick up these things and likes to do the thing where you go into a store and touch the things and, and buy them with paper money, be like to be old fashioned like that. The turning point has such a good selection. I'm not just a commercial for the turning point, but I was stoked. I found a, disc collection with all nine of the fucking puppet master movies so i am so ready i'm holding it like i'm a hand model right now like, you are holding it like you're a hand model yeah i know it's it's like it's like i'm on the fucking home shopping network and i was like for one low low price one thing i'll say about the turning point is they do have really nice prices on things generally speaking if you want to get some stuff that is not expensive i got just to fucking brag a little bit, the last time I was at The Turning Point, I mm. fucking picked up Kino's out-of-print DVD copy of The Man Who Laughs, a classic, silent horror film that I've reviewed on spotterpictures.net, and maybe one day when we're feeling quiet, we'll do another silent film, and we might do that one. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, I'd be down for that. But uh, that was literally someone on Twitter I was asking their opinion on which versions of some silent films that were the best ones to get. They recommended the new Blu-ray for uh, Phantom of the Opera, which because I wanted to upgrade my copy. So I got the Kino version of that. And they had said to me, the Kino DVD version of The Man Who Laughs is the best you're going to do. But I'm not going to recommend that to you because it's just too fucking expensive. It's too expensive. Like I, I, And I wouldn't, in my right mind, feel good about telling you to get that one. So I said, okay, I didn't even bother looking it up because I'm worried about like my spending can be kind of ridiculous. And if I decide I want something, I spend whatever on it. Yeah. So there I am at the turning point less than two weeks later, less than a week later, honestly. And there it is. And with my little discount that I got, not for anything special, even though they'll treat you right if you treat them right. But I had a little, I had a discount uh, on my, because I had had all my my cards punched in. My stamp. Mm -hmm. That was all filled out. So I got 
13 14 dollars or something like that it was a fucking steal and then i took a picture of it and i tweeted it at the person that said it was like check it out which is really awesome it's a really good find and i found that as well like and i had been uh subscribed to bands uh full moon pictures streaming service and mm. had it for a short time i don't know if it's still active but i wanted to check it out so i checked it out for a month and i was like cool i'm gonna watch all the pub master movies and i started one and fell asleep and then I didn't have that service anymore. So I was like, man, where am I going to find them all? Because it was like $3 or something a month. It was super cheap. And it had like all of his films on there. Um, But yeah, all nine movies, I'll be ready. I might only get through the first three, but I will be ready. And then we'll watch something I'm a little more familiar with, which is Dead Silence. Yeah, another fan uh, request. Remember, if you guys ever have a fan request like our good friend Orville Ketchum did or the Dead Silence one, which Rick, which is Rick Hunter, who does uh, the intro and outro for Panels of Blood, uh, please hit me up on Twitter. I'm always happy to hear from you guys for anything that you want to do, even if it's a complaint. Tell me I suck balls. I've heard it before. If you guys want us to do a specific movie, let us know. Uh, just to let you know, since we're on the two-week schedule now, sometimes it'll take a minute. I think old uh, Orville here was waiting almost four months to get to his, but uh, we will uh, get to it um, if it's horror and if it's something that we haven't already done. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, we aren't scheduling too tightly or too far in the future either, so it won't be a horrible wait. Like, there were some real bottleneck requests for some time, but we're through that. We've ice broke the, the bottleneck of requests. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, it could be four months still, but, yeah, it won't be that long because we're not scheduling as tightly. When I say I want to do something in February, as in Beloved, it'll be somewhere around February. Yeah, and I think that it's... um. The, the, the reason why I like doing the request so much is sometimes it forces us to do films that just we wouldn't have thought to do. And Tales from the Hood is a really good example. I knew I liked the film and I was going to pick it up from Screen Fracture regardless, but I wasn't sure because, well, if you would want to do it. I was like, ah, I don't know if, if I'd ever ask Lydia if she would want to actually do it. But then a request came in and I was like, eh. And then you got to rewatch a movie that you hadn't seen in a minute, right? Same. There's a lot of times when we don't know if the other would be interested in doing a film. And, like, I had just lent uh, Wes The Evil Within, mm-hmm. which is, an, a, I think, is a really amazing film for such a weird underdog. And it had recently been on the cover of Rue Morgue as well. So people have been paying attention to it. And I heard nothing but crazy buzz whenever someone would watch it. It's not that kind of film that gets buzz. People watch it and it dies out. It's like the more people that watch it, the more I've heard about this film. Uh, and I had VOD'd it the moment it was available just because I was so intrigued with the story behind it. But I didn't know if you'd be interested. So mm-hmm. that'll be up sometime because we're both at least interested. But I really, if I would have just watched Evil Within without any hype, just all alone, just randomly tripped over the VOD rental on, say, Vimeo or whatever, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have immediately thought, oh, wow, I'm going to have to show this to Wes. Because that would have been one that I'd have been like, I don't know if you mm-hmm. into doing this show. But here we are. Yeah, it's true. Even what, basically what we're trying to say, gang, is... After all of these years of knowing each other, we're still kind of scared of each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're more scared of me than I am you, I think. Even though you're bigger and could squash me like a fly. 
I am bigger and I can squash you like a fly, but that icy stare just pierces my heart. It's good, huh? Yeah, a little too good. I practice. I know. I can. That's <laughs> that's why your bathroom mirror always just looks so sad. Sad. It's got like these weird black drips that are coming down from behind I th- it. I thought those were those were mirror tears. They are mirror tears. It's exactly what that is. <laughs> I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.